2: shoes. Recorded live.
1: This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stampley. Welcome to the Gallant Goose and Friends. A weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 6:45 Eastern. Here on Talkshoe.com, program number one three nine three three five. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guest callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, the Untouchables, and Operation Grey Lord, where the motto is, vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders, including RESPA, FDCPA, and title Rescission. With the help of our guests, we'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stample, reminding y'all, when it comes to saving your house, don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other. Now please welcome the host of the show, Greg DeGruise.
3: Welcome, everybody, to episode 26 of the Yellow Goose and Friends here on talk show number 139335. Today is Thursday, March 24th, 2016. We appreciate all of you being here. Please keep passing the word along to your friends and family so our flock can grow. Our topic tonight is how to apply administrative remedies to notes and quiet title or turning the box inside out. Many people dealing with lawsuits regarding their property are frustrated with not being able to get their alleged creditor to produce important information which could prove their cases. Trial court judges frequently won't order creditors to conform to discovery demands of consumers and homeowners. So, what if there was an alternative process where one could get their alleged creditor to admit to certain facts and stipulations without the judge's help? What if these admissions could then be used as evidence to prove that the alleged creditor did not have standing or maybe they never were party to a loan with you? What if you could then move directly to a successful quiet title action? This week we have our special guest who has been researching and coaching people for the past six years on the use of the administrative process, another form of due process in resolving their issues. Tax Lee Masson, founder of the self-help website, thctrust.org, is with us this evening. But before we get ahead of ourselves, a couple important words.
1: The Gallon Goose is not associated with any other program, law firm, accounting firm, or any other legal accounting or other licensed professional entity and is the sole responsibility of the private group of friends which constitute it. All opinions expressed are those of the participants alone and no warranties expressed or implied. This call is being recorded for rebroadcast, so we do not recommend disclosing your private contact information. To contact or be contacted by other participants on this call, please email the host and we'll do our best to connect you offline. To hear past recordings, just go to www.talkshoe.com forward slash tc forward slash 139335 and select the episode. Also, to read the chat text from any past show, just go to www.chatgrabber.com. Type in our show number, one three nine three three five and select the episode. If you would like to receive a weekly email notifying you of the program, please email the host at thegallongoose at gmail.com with the subject line, Please add me to the goose. To be removed from the mailing list with the subject line, Please pluck my goose.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Remember, justice should be blind, not you. Realize that you are as powerful as the tools that you master, so don't forget to check out some of those tools at HowToWinInCourt.com. For those who don't already know, here's a little bit about our guest. Based in California, Tex Lee Mason is proud to say he is an American national and Moore He devoted eight years of his life to defending America while serving in the United States Marine Corps. He then went on to earn a Bachelor's of Science degree in Computer Studies from the University of Maryland. For the past six years, Tex has been researching law and commercial remedies full-time. He is a self-taught student of law and commerce and is not a professional lawyer or accountant. Several years back, he founded the consumer self-help website, THCTrust.org, which he continues to administrate. The ultimate goal of his organization is to help free those who are wrongfully incarcerated or otherwise acted upon by business or government. Tex does this by collecting information and studying the proper methods of applying the information to acquire the desired remedy for their members. In response to many Americans' frustration with corporate and judicial stonewalling in their cases, Tex says, It's easy to hate a debt collector, especially if you know how it feels to be a slave to debt. But to the contrary, we should focus more on learning to express our legal, lawful remedies in a peaceful, non-combative, matter-of-fact way. The processes that tax advances are outside the box of traditional legal strategies used by most attorneys, but have been available in commerce and law for centuries. In fact, most creditors use these tools against consumers daily without people even recognizing them. He feels that using these simple tools, together with traditional case strategies, can empower people to get closer to winning when the grade of conventional methods is made too steep by stubborn or non-cooperative courts. So, without further ado, let us please welcome our guest, Tex Massant, to the show. Hi, Tex. Hey, greetings, Greg. Uh, Thank you for having me, Foremost. It's a pleasure to be here. So, how are you doing this evening?
2: I'm doing real good. I'm doing outstanding. Uh, I, I finally get to take, you know, breathe a little bit air. You know, usually I'm just researching, researching, getting to a certain point where I can talk about what I've presently researched and then I'll be going back into the research after this call. So thank you for actually, uh, you know, I actually want to thank you on the air and everyone should thank Greg because he really, uh, he really, uh, pushed me to, you know, make this call happen which is real good because, you know, I, I'm, I was tending to do a lot of studying. He's like, hey, I'm going to put you on a calendar and we're just going to lead up to it. So now we're at the day of the call and that's actually good because I think we have some good information to
3: share. I think we kicked the can down the road for about a month and a half, didn't we? <laughs> yeah.
2: And 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 I, and I like how you did that because uh, you know, honestly, yeah, it probably, probably wouldn't have happened. So you know, I, I appreciate you for that because even myself in different regards, I know that if any of us want to accomplish anything and this type of uh, environment of what we're studying, you have to be proactive. And you have to know how to make things happen. You, you can't wait around it, you know. So Greg has that I can already see, and I, I appreciate him for
3: that. Well, thank you back. Hey, to get started, uh, would you like to say anything more about your background or how you got involved um, in helping Americans yeah, fight against inequity and injustice?
2: Yeah, I just, you know, you know, I to, to some degree, as we was just kind of discussing off the air. I just kind of feel like, you know, we all have a sort of higher purpose. And to me, it's quite obvious that I'm kind of working in mine right now. You know, I, I was in the Marine Corps for about eight years. You know, in the Marine Corps, I spent half of the time actually doing administration, going through military manuals and things like that, just just learning uh, communications and correspondence. And then the last half, I, I spent, you know, doing IT stuff, like firewalls, router switches, things like that. Which I've also done in, in corporate America, and uh, then I, you know, then it, you know, I, I kind of told this story before, but give you the, you know, in the brief nutshell, in 2008, when everything was hitting the fan, this was my first time actually starting to pay attention to politics or any, you know, anything that was really going on in so-called government and commerce, and you know, I kind of, you know was awakened by the information and just drawn into a whole different information uh, drawn into a whole different level Left the kind of corporate America behind and Now I find that all the things I've been learning through life have kind of just really prepared me for kind of what I'm doing right now and uh and and the other thing I want to say something that you mentioned uh, i didn't I you know, probably wrote it somewhere a while back, but I think it's very important for people to understand that when you come into new information. You're gonna at some point you're gonna feel like you've been cheated or you know, or somebody lied to you or took took advantage of you. I think when it comes to your learning and comprehending, it's very important to just like say be thankful that you got the information and don't really spend enough time you know, don't spend a lot of time being aggressive because as they say, emotion or how you feel about something is what you put on it. It's your energy in motion. And when you're sending out that kind of signal you're blocking, and you should be observing and listening and, and, and taking in the information. So, you know, that, that's what we need to be doing. So let's not let anybody a blame game or nothing like that. Let's not get mad about it. Let's just keep going in until we extract
3: some remedy. So take take a few uh, advice words from Mr. Spock.
4: <laughs>
3: be logical. Um, hey, uh, in your past six years of studying contract law, trust law, and the rules of commerce, what are some of the key points that you discovered that you think folks should be made aware of um, let's, well I would say
2: the probably the most important point is this whole thing about the name um the you 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 have to you have to understand that it's not your name, and when they're dealing with this uh name in commerce it's it's just all business for the most part. Listen, it's, it's, it's government. It's, it's government business or commercial business, but it's all business. So, the more you can begin to separate yourself from that so-called trade name that was on the birth certificate that you write on every piece of corporate document, and you, see, you know, the more that you begin to understand that it's you know a corporate a corporation or a company or a business or a bank or almost anything else. It's it's the corporate version. Of you know every municipal agency, basically. But once you begin to understand that, then it'll kind of let you understand the laws and how they apply to you. I mean, I guess you know, that's probably not you know the strongest thing. But you have to understand that, and then you have to understand that when someone's operating against that name, they're operating uh, they're they're uh, operating a trust, if you will. So just like a corporation, they're operating a trust. So it's really all about you know what is your relationship to the trade name. That's what you have to always understand. It's not you and myself being included. We have to slowly work on our language because even as our language gets better, our comprehension and understanding will get better. So sometimes I say, well, my name, uh, you know what I mean. Well, it's a trade name. You know, it's a trade name.
3: Well, you know, that's that's really interesting. Uh, we've had a couple guests in the past, uh, Kurt Kallenbach, one of them that we can think of, who's uh, spent a lot of time Doing his research and development on separating yourself as a man, woman versus your trade name, but uh, we could we could do a whole show on just that um, but uh, to keep moving on the direction of this call, um you're a big proponent of the administrative procedure. For those who may not have heard about it, can you explain to them what the administrative procedure is and why you think it's such a powerful tool for consumers? In, in my lane in terms administrative procedure is is the way it's
2: it's what has been set up for one to engage and communicate with their government to establish facts with their government uh, so the, so that's and 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 really it's a self propelled way it's you know it's a, it's a way of building facts if you will i'm a I'm a big proponent of it because what I found is a lot of the manipulation and control of everything is a result of you not being able to prove nothing, you know. And, and administrative procedure, to some degree, allows you to establish facts for a record. It allows you to establish facts that can't be rebutted. It pretty much allows you to 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 gather weight, you know, for your claim or your position or whatever it is you need to establish. So... Um, and an administrative procedure has so many levels of depth. And, I, and my findings is, you, you know, your judge, you, an administrative procedure can lead to a consent judgment. And at the end of the day, no matter what the issue is that you're dealing with, the consent judgment is what you need to shut it down. So an administrative procedure, at the end of the day, whether you go into the court to get your judgment, or uh, whether you use an administrative procedure to get your judgment, The judgment is what you need. The quickest way of getting there that I know of is through the administrative procedure. It's the only way to proceed under the common law that I'm aware of. You know, they say the court of record, if you ask me, the court of record is your administrative record leading to your consent judgment, you know, with the proper seals on it. So, but but that's the only way I know how to move. let me say one more thing about the administrative uh, procedure, which we'll get into all the different processes that we hear about, you know, seizures of vessels, you know, liens, um, even the quiet title action. The administrative, you know, as I said before, the administrative procedure is the way to perfect your evidence. It's the way to protect yourself. It's the only way, I know, to protect yourself if you're really going to act as an executor and say so you have to move somebody off your estate to some degree. Uh, and, you know, this, you know, but administrative procedure, thats, that's the, it's really a way to protect yourself and establish your facts. I found that I don't think there's nothing that people can stop you from doing as far as, you know, uh, executing a foreclosure yourself on somebody's bond, removing an attorney out of office. If you yeah. know the procedure, I don't think there's anything that anyone can do that can do that can stop you from doing it, but they're going to come at you hard, and I think the only way you can protect yourself is have the documentation and that's what administrative procedure is is perfecting the right document you know to get a consent judgment basically with the government <laughs> or anybody else for that matter okay, I'll leave that one
3: <laughs> um, if properly executed, doesn't the administrative process result in a declaratory judgment okay. under notary seal? supposedly ending, ending any controversy?
2: Um, yes. Well, I don't now, i Now, I'm not the uh, genius on this, but is it a declaratory judgment? I don't know. But it is a consent judgment. I'm sure of that. And that does end the controversy. And you can actually, if you look up the term consent judgment in the Black Law Dictionary, I think, actually, I think you have to look up uh, judgment and then you look at the different types of judgment. And then follow the path for a consent judgment. You know how they, like, they jump you around. You go to this work. If they see that word, then you mm-hmm. go that word. and if they see that word, Well, when you follow the path for a consent judgment, you're going to basically find out that it is the judgment. It, the consent judgment is judgment. That's all it is when they take you around the path. So um, basically the consent judgment is that. It's a tacit acquiescence. They silently default. There are our government officials. So we we're relying on them. You know, we you know, we're relying on their response or their non-response because when there's a duty to speak and you remain silent, it's equivalent
3: with fraud. So, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Is uh is there a similarity between what we what some people know as a notary protest process and administrative mm-hmm. process? When well, from my understanding,
2: a lot of people we say administrative process loosely. A notary protest is an administrative process. You know, from my understanding, you know, just like a notary presentment would be an administrative process. You know, the you know you're establishing a record. You know, it's a procedure. It's It's a you know it's a procedural record that you're creating. So those are all administrative procedures that we talk about. I don't know if you guys ever talked about the Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but that's that no that no yeah, so you know, that's that's an administrative procedure right there. You know, you just add a nodule, add another presentment to it. That's an administrative procedure.
3: Well, do courts respect the results of these administrative procedures as admissible evidence or do they poop on them?
2: Well what I would I would tell you this is this has been my experience. Um and, and as we get into things you'll see, I don't necessarily use an administrative procedure as evidence. I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I absolutely would if, if, if I was at that phase of a proceeding and it could be done. But really, I'm more about leverage. So if I'm doing an administrative procedure, I'm not so much looking into the statutory side of the case. I'm looking at the, the, the government policy or the policies and the parameters that must take place because usually I'm looking at, you know, that's a, a more target way to, to, to deal with the situation because whether it's a foreclosure or whatever it's still all going back to the trade name which they're doing some business on an administrative estate and if we don't have some type of understanding of that then we're stuck fighting in one of their fictitious one of their fictitious arguments because I'm always like one thing you see is I'm always dealing with the fact that where did the money come from you never gave a loan you don't have an interest you know so I'm thinking it you know but I don't like to Kind of go off into the fairy tale arguments because they always have a
3: loophole and a way out. So, <laughs> but yeah. well, going back to something that you just mentioned, in your efforts to mm-hmm. assist folks with uh, mortgages and foreclosures, you proposed mm-hmm. you you were proposing two methods. One, mm-hmm. the use of the Universal Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act, and the other was applying the administrative remedy procedure followed up by a quiet title action. Would you mind uh, taking a minute to expand on that for us, so we understand where those two yeah. possible actually, things are? Actually, yeah, and I'll
2: tell you how I kind of came to the conclusion. You know, helping family members that's been in the same situation, and and uh, and helping people on the uh, judicial foreclosure side and the non-judicial foreclosure side continuously happen to you know, fight, 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 and not be heard by the courts. The same thing that many people did. Um, and and just looking at... So me, I've always been like a strategic type of thinker. And, and you know, just, just... I was playing chess at seven. That's just, you know, the type of way my mind works. So I had a different perspective on it. So, you know... When you get into the court, as they say, the facts is on the moon. One of the very first things I learned when I started learning about this law, again, I gravitated towards the administrative procedure because after going to court and losing my own my my property, you know, I realized it doesn't really matter about all these laws and things if you can't prove it, if you can't get no facts in there, then you know. And then some people say, you know, it does. It it, it doesn't matter now if you get facts. So, kind of what I put together is one. You can say they never gave me a loan. You can bring up there was no proper assignment. You can bring up all of these things. And I figure that if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have an attorney, you know, you can't afford an attorney or you can't afford no professional help, these attorneys, all they're going to do is duck and dodge and not say nothing. They're just going to duck and dodge and motion and dismiss because you're not making sense and you don't know legal procedure is at the end of the day is how they're going to So, 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 So logically, I came to the logic well. If I know any A, B, C, D, and these are all the things they're supposed to have, that they have to have in order to be able to take this process, but I can't say that in court because I'm not schooled in the law, and even though they say it's supposed to be fair, they still screw me over. So, okay, administrative procedure is the only way I can establish the fact. Now, I'll say this. You know, somebody's probably thinking, oh, well, you know, they'll ignore your administrative procedure. And this is what I really try to get people to understand and I know this because I deal with so many people, something may work for you that doesn't work for somebody else. I may do something and it worked for me and it doesn't work for someone else. What I'm trying to express to you is that you, in most cases, are the variable that's going to determine whether or not this administrative procedure or whatever you're doing works. And to what extent is that you? I don't know. I don't know your dispositions. It might be, how serious are you? how much work do you put into? It? How much research do you put in? It? But when I did my very my very first administrative procedure, and I was serious about my stuff, very first, I hadn't even been studying this stuff for probably about one year at that time. That administrative procedure was so strong it stopped the court case hold my foreclosure for six months. but unfortunately, I didn't know enough. you know, and now, when I did this administrative procedure, You know, so many people say you take your procedure and you bring it towards a panel of three judges. I didn't think about that. When I heard three judgments, I thought a seal is a judgment, so I have the notary, I have the state court, I got the secretary of state, I got the United States seal, take it through the authentication process. Boom, that's a consent judgment. I did a full administrative procedure leading to a consent judgment, and the way that I used it, you know, again, I'm not conventional. I didn't use it in a case. I sent it to the judge in private. And you know, I think to this day I could have had a win there, but what happened is you know I ex as many people from THC trust know, I'm very meticulous with the documentation, but i didn't I didn't have the competency level of what I do now. so I actually went into a private hearing uh like six months after that, you know, attorneys kicking and screaming and saying, "Why are you not getting a judgment against this guy? This judge called with him for a private hearing." And she asked me about one or two things. I was nervous, scared, didn't even really have a plan. I didn't know what was going to go on, so I prejudiced whatever I had. I walked out. The staff attorney came out, gave me my whole administrative procedure back in an envelope. I'll see you later. <laughs> but uh, I say that to say that this stuff is possible. And then when you do administrative procedures, you have to, it's like working your way backwards. If you are trying to say you want to do a quiet title action, so if you want to do a quiet title action, you first have to go look up, and this is how jurisdictionary Dictionary can help you, and I, I wouldn't peg them like that, but they're an excellent course. You would look up what specific elements must be established in order for me to get a judgment for quiet title action. And then you work your way backwards because your administrative procedure, the facts that you're going to get on the record, must be established in your written communications back and forth to these agencies or companies that's going to default, those facts need to be certified on the record to get this consent judgment for quiet title action. That's, now, you got to have an idea of how I would do that. So now, when you go into, now let's talk about briefly consent judgments, because I know I'm just dropping a lot, but now how do you make, how, why, what's to stop them from ignoring your consent judgment? Then you have to go look at well, what is the judgment? Then you go into the act of state. Then you go into the treaties, the Geneva Convention. What do these still mean? So then that I, it's kind of it's always leverage, and the, and and all of that doesn't mean nothing if you don't know how to get the insurance policy or the judge's oath of office and what these oaths and things are for, which is basically they're always for constitutional rights based off of my research. research. So, but I'll take the, I'll take a little breather because I know you that that creative question in there. <laughs>
3: Well, that's that's really informative. Um, I found it interesting that you mentioned Dr. Graves' uh, jurisdictionary program. He was on our he was one of our guests a couple weeks ago and was saying a very similar thing that is, you really have to understand the details of the processes and procedures if you're going to have a snowball's chance in hell of ever prevailing. And uh, and I think that uh, from what I've observed from watching you over the past six years is that uh, you're of a like mind. However, you might have some additional things that you add to the equation. But um, it really comes down to whether or not a homeowner or a consumer in general who's got any kind of an issue is willing to put in the work and roll up their sleeves and set aside a certain amount of time every week to become uh, at least a journeyman, if not a master of that study and uh, right. Right. to ally themselves with other people um in their area or at least in their area of challenge um through different uh concentration groups different websites different focus groups different uh chat groups is a really helpful and productive tool right right yep um, so uh what are what are your some of propo what are some of your proposed strategies For consumers to use the credit damage reporting area or the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act in the defense of their property, I think you had a few
2: things. (laughs) that's one thing I was sitting here creating. One thing I wanted to share. These are just some of the things that I've uh, worked on over time. And um, one, you know, one attorney dealing with the uh, Fair Debt Collections Practices Act, you know, that's one. I, there's a lot of information on the site about that, so I'm not going to go so much into that. It's not a real strong position, especially not right now. But, uh, definitely the, uh, Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act. I think there is a lot, there's a lot more into that than, than anybody has really fully uh, discovered yet. Because, you know, I also know that, you know, through, through dealing with the Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act, there's some people dealing with it right now. There, there, there exists an opportunity. Well, well, one, once you have the affidavit of satisfaction filed into your county, if it's done the right way, there's going to be some type of ledgering. I would say, for the actually the proper term is indexing. You know, whether they're releasing an obligation. You know, when you have the affidavit of satisfaction, that's really important. So, for people who don't know, I would say look up the Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act get into it because if you can get the affidavit of satisfaction uh, recorded in the county and release that obligation, it gives you the opportunity to start shopping around for different types of insurance policies. So say like you satisfy it. This is all administrative procedure now. You satisfy it on on the out, you know, you satisfy it on the record. Your administrative procedure protects it. Now you start calling, now you want to convey the title into a trust or some other, you know, you know some some other entity, and now you can start calling title companies and Google because there's some other organizations too. I'm not going to call them out, but you can start looking at getting insurance policies. So now this way, at least you have some type of insurance if you can't hang on. Or you, you know these, these are just you know different strategies, things that could be looked at because there can be insurance policies that cover you as the buyer and the lender or the homeowner. You can you can you can insure the title of your property. But, um, you know, so we talked now, here's, you know, UCC Article 9, Section 210. You know, I kind of did videos about this, and this is where you request the statement of accounting or the statement of collateral. And this is kind of like, once again, we were talking about administrative procedure. This is something where the debtor asks the creditor to validate an accounting, and it requires the creditor to respond by affidavit which no one's going to come under penalty of perjury and make a commercial lie. They're just not going to do it. So, and people, you know, I actually had an attorney one time get mad at me. You know, I think he watched a YouTube video. Uh, and he called me. He's like, you know, good and well, we're not going to sign no statement. Like, I'm like, well, shoot, you never gave me anything anyway. You didn't give me no loan. You didn't, you know, it's just like, it's like, of course they're not going to sign it, but of course they never, you know, they, you know, of course there's some... Misrepresentations going on on their end. So, um, but you know, so yeah, those those are uh yeah that, that 9210 letter. That's important because once you you know basically that process says you ask them authenticate. They get 14 days. If they don't authenticate the record in 14 days, then the statement that you sent them becomes valid. All the if you now think about this, if you've done the Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act. And they went into default, and you got your affidavit of satisfaction in there, and you got your and you got your um. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, oh just mentioned. It. Let's see, you got the 90- your, yeah, you got your ninety two ten letter, Uniform Residential Mortgage Satisfaction Act. Uh, there's a couple other administrative procedures that you can do. You got the you always got the Q W R type of things. Um, I always hit them with an administrative procedure asking for proof or validation that they ever gave a loan. I you know, I got a you know, pretty tight affidavit. So I go default the lender and the servicer with these administrative procedures because now they're not and they're not communicating with you. What do they do? They default every single time. So taking those administrative procedures, those records, then getting them properly authenticated, whether you you know run them through whatever process, get your seals on them. Then you can – there's so many things you can do with those records to further certify them. I can go on and on, if you want me to, so, I can, of things you can do with the record. But more importantly, when push comes to shove and you've done all of that, now that's why, you know, my thought process is this is where you, why then you would go into the quiet title action. Uh, and we didn't mention the Tiller tel- rescission, too. You talked about that earlier. This is also, right? So, you, you know, I, you know, some people fault me on this, but I say you throw the whole bucket at them. Everything that you can think of in your favor, you do it all. But that's me. Even if well, that doesn't really jive with the other process you're doing, I'm, I'm throwing everything in and I'm doing all of it. Because at the end of the day, if I have all these records that they didn't respond to the statement of the county, they didn't respond to the fair debt collection practice, they didn't respond to this, they did not respond to that, why should they be able to come in and make the claim on a quiet title with what? You know, you know, you know, you know. Are they, you know, have they not already you know, exhausted their opportunity to respond? And these are really federal agencies. These
3: banks. You look at their regulations. Well, they're not federal agencies, but they are federal franchisees.
2: Right. And that's what I say when you look at their regulations, because people that you're dealing with, they have, you know, they're officers. You know, they're chief financial officers. They didn't choose to make themselves chief financial officers. They
3: needed somebody to wear that hat. Well, what's always interesting is to actually read what is in the U.S. banking franchise uh, requirements, and that if it's ever shown that they have committed any act not in the interest of the American people, that they could immediately have their franchise revoked. Now, if you really stop and think about it and i don't want i don't want to make a big deal about this, but given the fact that all these uh, banks have paid hundreds of billions of dollars in penalties for taking wrongful actions against the American people already since two thousand and eight isn't it surprising that the uh government or the uh, various agencies including the uh the FDIC or the uh, uh, Department of Commerce hasn't just revoked their darn franchises. You know, it's well, just, it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, when I hear you like 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 when I hear that piece of information
2: that you just gave me, what I think in terms of is this is the leverage that one needs. You know, this is the leverage that one needs if they're doing, let's say, an administrative presentment with, uh, you know. An instrument, or private instrument, or something like that. They're dealing with the chief financial officer that's supposed to do this, that, and the other. Well, you know, so so well. Now you know that the 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 obligatory or the obligatory or binding statute upon them. So these are things you know. The, those that is your leverage right there. Because I think sometimes, like one of the things I've learned is, uh, and I think I just learned this from being in the military and kind of watching how people that work in government kind of work. You know, at the end of the day, it's very compartmentalized. And when you start, when you have somebody's direct policy, usually it's like, I'm the government, I'm not losing my job, I can tell you whatever. Come to this window, I tell you to screw off, turn around. But if, but if I'm bringing a specific policy that says this is what you're supposed to do, now now paperwork can be started. So it's usually like, that's why I say it's leverage. Like, I'm not losing my job over this. You know, even if I'm the CFO, I'm not the highest man in the world. I'm just one
3: of them, <laughs> you know. Since this is our first time to have you on the show, um, and you've covered so much ground in your research and all the things that I've read that you've produced, um, I'd like to propose this at this moment, and that is we can always come back and do more depth, in-depth, detailed stuff on any one of these points, but... Um, I'd like to also let the audience hear some of the other things that you've researched and become familiar with and have some points on. Uh, another one is with regards to trusts. Um, okay. For example, okay. Um, what is the difference between a common law trust and a statutory trust?
2: Okay. Um here's just my, you know, I'm definitely not the expert on trust. I think I just learned by... Uh, Necessity, looking at my estate and trying to better understand the affairs that's going on. But a statutory trust generally would be a trust created under some statute. um, And it's uh, typically a trust that would be, that's probably very easy to be seized by a state administrator or any other public, you know, officer. Uh, It's it's, it's less granular. It's not to say, you know, a, a, a statutory trust is better than no trust at all. I'll tell you that for sure. But a uh, common law trust is uh, pretty much a trust that's established under the rule of the common law, which is, I guess you would say a constitutional trust. Uh, it's probably really the only trust. It's, it's just an express contract trust. There's no third party of the state, I, I guess you'll
3: put it like that. That's, I guess that's my layman's way to say. I, I'm sorry, did you say that the state is not a party to the trust? Not to yes, the state is not a party to your common
2: law trust unless you appoint them as a fiduciary, from my understanding, okay yeah. I mean that's just and that's just kind of like really, when it comes down to trust, I think for me its it's not a so much that you divide them. I mean you don't really want to be dealing with statutory trust, I think if you're and this like you know, the kind of people that's on this call, probably not you just don't want a statutory trust um you know, but really. The most important thing with trust, I think, is understanding the operation of them, who the trustee is and what his responsibilities are. And, uh, yeah, so I don't want to cross over. I was going to mix some things.
3: But, yeah, I think that's most important, understanding, you know, how a trust operates. And then, of course, there are things that are expressed trusts, and then there are those that are implied trusts or presumed trusts. Right and every, every time i think uh some people in the past have said that every time a court case is brought up it becomes a trust
2: i i mean to me it is every time but i don't know if people have nailed down exactly why it's the it's the, the same name that's on the uh thing right there the, the name that is the trust they're doing business in that trust whatever your name, uh, trade name is up there it says uh it, 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 the only way they, that they can do business is in trust, really. The thing is, you're just you're just hanging out. You're not a party to it. If you if you don't know what's going on, you're just the property. You're just parcel to the trust. You know, you don't have no role.
3: You're not serving as the trustee or whoever you should be. So so why, do you, really is trust. so why do you recommend establishing a common law trust as an alternative operating entity for people? Instead of using their U.S. person to do business.
2: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna share this, and this is probably the biggest nugget that I'm gonna share on this call, right? Um, I found in my research a uh, where some high level attorneys did something for somebody, and they uh, <laughs> and in in that they they created a living trust for this person. But the thing that really surprised me, I was like, okay, this person was the, um, let me make sure I get this right, and 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 people can research living trust. This person was the uh, trustee of their living trust. So this person's name was John Doe. It was the John Doe living trust, and this person was John Doe. And I was talking to other person, someone else, and they're telling me the same thing. Man, these high-level attorneys are setting up these living trusts. So, you know, that should tell you something right there. Now, now, we you just asked the question before, we were talking about uh the, you know, there's an, uh, you know, they're always operating in some type of trust. Well, I was just telling you, yes, they are operating in some type of trust, and if you're not competent, you're just there for a ride. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, you know, a living trust, for my understanding, my research, now, again, I'm not the guru, we're just talking here, the living trust is you taking the trust that they're operating. If you don't have a trust, that means somebody else is going to do the administration. That's why I say you're just along for the ride, All right? So what these high-level attorneys were doing for these clients that these clients probably didn't even quite realize for themselves was they were giving them the control over their affairs to some degree.
5: You see what I'm saying? All right.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Now, now, let me share this last piece on that. I have a couple friends that has been helping clients with foreclosure type of situations in, in court and these clients had living trust. Now, these, now they don't know. They just had, I don't know why they had the living trust. They didn't really. A lot of people, they just didn't understand trust, but they had it. But the one thing that we noticed is that the the, the attorneys and the and the judges, they were very confused. So this, even this trust technology is very serious to the fact that they're not going to breach the trust, and it's serious to the fact that they will remove themselves and go hire other, not hire, but bring in other judges that are more versed in trust law. Now, we've seen when people have living trust in place that the courts is just running around confused trying to figure out who the grantor and beneficiary is. And when you research the living trust, um, it may suggest to you that all three of those parties can be to some degree vested in the same title, but not really. So that's <laughs> but just so it's worth researching.
3: I saw on your website that you were offering a package of uh, can you describe uh what's in your common law trust package and uh, what folks might expect to get from that um it's it's just a it's really just a template to
2: get you started along you know what i what I tell people when i when i did so when I first started diving into trust, I was researching and studying this uh, uh, this law type of stuff and the first thing I read was the wise concise trustee handbook because i was doing some business with some friends who who was really schooling me on this law stuff. And they were like, we need to set up a trust. And they were telling me to do it, and none of us knew about it. So I'm reading the Wise trustee Handbook, and then, you know, I'm just kind of putting it together and looking at templates as I'm going along and uh, doing different things, opening up a bank account, getting a vehicle in a trust, you know, getting my utilities in a trust, going and applying for just trying to get used to how a trust operates. So that, so that's kind of uh, the that, – that whole trust template right there, it pretty much came just out of the idea of me initially learning how to operate in trust. It was just a basic trust that I could do, let's say, my affairs in, as opposed to doing them in my trade name. So it's not really – you know, what I – you know, actually what we're – what I'm more focused on is really your estate trust. So there's – you know, I'm telling people – you know, if you're just looking to, you know, get your feet wet, have some basic trust, that's not a, you know, that's not a super secure trust or anything like that. But if you're looking at kind of correcting your status and really, you know, you know I know that's, this is not like really what we're dealing with on a mortgage call, but there's some more in-depth trust. you got to go further into the site, you know, go into some of the secure party stuff. And there's more tighter trust, when you, especially for like common law business trust and things like that. So.
3: Now, as uh, there's an uh, an attachment to the area of trust. I think uh you had mentioned the term administrative estate. Is that different than a living estate or a probate estate or are these all different words for the same thing?
2: Well, from my research and understanding, again not the expert, um when we, when a lot of times when I, I've come across the term administrative estate, we're talking about let's say the government function of your alleged estate, stuff like that, and and it, so it is an administ- So whenever the government is doing business with you, whether they're sending you a bill or paying income taxes, you know, then they're doing business in an administrative estate. It's actually an extension of the government, so to speak. So it's like they set up this administrative estate at the birth, so to speak. So now, and now some of this is just going into how how my mind merges it together. Now, you're separated from that estate. Now, there's some accounting going on for sure. You know, there's something, like they talk about the reversionary interest. There's always, the accounting is always there. You know, it's always there. So um, the... So, so that's the administrative estate, but now when we claim this estate, you know, we're trying to claim that estate, now it, it's, it, it's still an administrative estate, but then it's not because where, where the trust exists, there is no agency relationship. So it's almost like an operation of law. Once you recognize that this estate is here and you do whatever is necessary to make the proper claim that you're competent or whatever, now it's kind of an operation of law. You destroy that administrative functionality. It's just like saying the estate is not abandoned, so the to KV Act is no longer in
3: place. So it all well, kind of like. Are you, but are you? But are are people going to come in as the grantor trustor, or are they going to be coming in as the beneficiary? My thought is you wouldn't kind of, well, you know, It always depends on who's in front of you.
2: <laughs> you know, really, that's that's my thought. You know, it depends on the contract and the you know who, who's in front of you, but. You know, one thing I say, the way that I look at my affairs is I'm the executor for the estate. The estate is not a business um, entity, so you don't really do business in an estate. Typically, there's a trust um, that does the business for the estate. So I'm the trustee for the trust and the executor for the estate. If someone's trying to do business with the trust, then do I need to appoint them as a fiduciary? Because really, well, let me put it like this. If somebody's trying to bring a claim against the estate, you know, they're going to do the business with the trust, right? The first thing they do is put a claim on a trust name or something. So now it's really about the business for the estate at this point. I'm the executor for the estate and trustee for the trust. Do I got to appoint this person a fiduciary to deal with some tax stuff or even to process a private negotiable instrument or whatever? You know, so, and then, you, know, so you get into the powers of the appointment, but at the same time, You know, I don't ever really talk about the beneficiary because I think it's (laughs) – and it's funny because I have the same questions that everybody else has, but, you know, I just do a lot of research. When I don't talk about the beneficiary, it's like I just be about the beneficiary.
3: (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I just don't, you know – but, you know, does that make sense, what I'm saying, or no? Sure it does. Um, You mentioned something earlier. Uh, secured party creditor. The term secured creditor has been bantered about for decades now. And more recently, the media has associated it with radical factions in America. Why are we still discussing it? Why are we using that term? Um, Should people be concerned or should they be comfortable with it? You know, that's an excellent question because I'm going to go ahead
2: and say it because I got some emails about it. That, you know, and then they came after one gentleman. Uh, I don't know what he did, but had something to do with some private instruments. But what I say is, you know, I when I research this stuff, the laws are there, the statutes are there, the the, the acts of Congress have been passed, and it's like you're not going to throw a fast on me. I'm not stupid, you know. Like so, I know this stuff is there. You know, now what I did is, you know, I'm always thinking, so I see, you know, what I've been working on uh, is I've been working on a matter. And I've already done it before. Good faith, you know. I write my government, and say, "Hey, listen, um, I got all these laws right here that say we can do this, this, that, and the other, and this is how I intend on operating moving forward." And I'm, and you're, and you're obligated to protect me based on your constitutional right. You know, I'm operating in good faith. So, you know, if you, you know, I say if you're scared, it's not really the game to be in. But you know, if you want to do your due diligence, start, you know, start involving, you know, get do your administrative procedure so that you can show that you've already done your due diligence. You've asked the questions you, you showed the laws, you've relied on their silence, and then move forward. So definitely research this stuff because I, I think that at the end of the day, it's, a, it's something I said earlier, and I really believe it is, and I'm not saying that I know how to do everything. I'm not saying that. But I don't know of any procedure that I don't know where to find the information, whether it's a seizure or whatever. And I know that, you know, I have more time to dig in this stuff than most people so a lot of times when people, you know, it's, it's how much time and effort are you going to put into it? Because at the end of the day, when you begin to see how these tools work, from what I see, there's not really anything that they can stop you from doing. They can try to slow you down, but at the end of the day, you know, you're doing the your business for your estate. And if somebody keeps standing in your way, then they are trespassing on your estate, and that individual person becomes a casualty. You just keep moving casualties out the way until you know, they, they have the same way, the same way they can screw you over in court where you can't do nothing and they can just screw you over in the public. They got the same, you, you got an equal and as much powerful remedy on the other side.
3: You made a very good point there um, that a lot of folks are up to their elbows in alligators and uh, don't have a lot of time to do the research that they need to do. Uh, again, going back to why it is so important for people to bond together in little groups of friends. And I don't mean joining a giant website with 10,000 people on it. I mean Mm -hmm. finding a handful of people that you trust, that you know firsthand, that are interested in the same research. And then you can tag team and, and allocate your resources so that five or six people or 12 people can each be doing a part of the work in order to bring all the information for the group. You know, it's, I think that that's a really important thing. And it goes back to back in the days where folks would get together after church at the church hall and sit down and have you know coffee and donuts and sit around and talk about things or show up at their neighborhood pub and discuss the issues of the neighborhood and connect with one another. And we've seen... a uh, a dispersal of that I mean I think a lot of the folks in America have more friends on the internet from other countries than they do in their own neighborhood and within their own family and I think that that diversity is great but at the same time you know politics is local and business is local why why, you know what can we do to try to encourage people to reach out and to Make those connections locally with their neighbors and their family members, so that they can build those research bases, so that they can collectively know everything that they need to know. What can be done about them? I wish I had the answer for that one because I I feel
2: everything that you just said. <laughs> you know, that's a, uh, that's just a disposition right there. You know. Because they they make the matrix, they make the hamster wheel go faster and faster, and you know, <laughs> they you know they. I do I really don't know the answer to that one.
3: I just don't know. You know. So, so. Well, maybe uh, later on in the call, uh, when we bring in our 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 uh, callers for questions and answers, uh, they can help us with that. Um, right. Why do you feel that it's important that you do inquiries into public officials and government departments? Oh
2: man, yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's, you know, that's, that's sometimes that's just the remedy right there, just asking the question. (laughs) You know, asking the question. Um, well, you know, you know, again, these these are supposed to be our elected officials, right? So, like, you know, some of the things, like, we we found, like, it's, it's always important to find out, you know, where are the elected officials getting paid from, right? Where's the money going? And if everything's supposed to be transparent, you should you should be able to answer all these questions. But a lot of times, you know, what I found with everything, if you start asking the questions about the money, you know, then things are going to get better for you. <laughs> you know,
3: it's crazy. Well, I, don't, I don't know. For, for, from my perspective, as soon as you start asking questions about the money, everybody gets amnesia.
2: Yes. And this is, again, why... I, I, I am very big and I spent a lot of time I wish I'd been working so hard I wanted to have some resources but I spent a lot of time preparing notary certificates of service and certificates of non-response putting a lot of thought and time in them I was doing that like a lot last week because yeah they get amnesia so you know you want to be kind of like you know quick draw McGraw with your ready to go notary present mischief. bam and, and, and as a matter of fact I also was going to say that You know, I don't see why, under the common law, one can't just use a third-party witness for their procedures. If you can't find a notary that's going to do administrative procedure, use a third-party witness and do the same thing, you know. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so send those FOIA requests out because if they default, because what I found out, I mean, to be honest with you, every time I do a FOIA request and I use certified mail or I use registered mail, And, of course, I I never – I always first – I get on the phone and I find out who the FOIA officer is, you know, or or I, I always send it to somebody by name, whoever's in that billet, and I let them know that if they're not the right person to go ahead and make sure it gets to the right person and get back to me and let me know. But, you know, I put the timelines in there, you know, according to the, you know, federal law or the state law you have this many days. And it goes back into the thing of my letter is always set up and it's like you don't want to threaten and bully people, so be careful, but my letter is always set up to to, to let you know that you're not just gonna not do it and think that I got you know, you're gonna still be working in government because you're obligated to do it. You know, when you work in the government you can't just do what you wanna do, there's policies and procedures. And if they don't, now you have the record of who's liable, not the department, that person right over there. That's who I sent it to. Usually, when you start putting names in it, you going
3: to get answers. <laughs> you get them. Well, the difference between uh, here's here's one thing that I can throw into the uh, to the pot, and that is uh, from from the research that I was able to ascertain, um, at least here where I live, um, mm-hmm. there are there's a federal and state statute that says that you can do a jurat, J-U-R-A-T, which is a sworn oath. Um, Without a notary, if you have two witnesses and you stipulate it in a particular verbiage, um, and I don't have those two statutes, the federal and the state statute, here at my disposal, but I know that that's possible, the only difference is is that when you're dealing with a state-authorized notary, that notary never has to show up in court to verify what they said because they have an office of trust within the government. But if you're using two... Private witnesses, they may be deposed oh, or, or right. to come and testify to the to the veracity of their of their uh, witness. All right, which would be the the primary difference, which really turns out a convenience issue. All right. 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 And so, but there's a remedy because you know
2: I get people all the time. I can't find a notary. You know, I can't find a notary that's going to do this. And um, you know, and that's why. The study groups is really important, and I tell people all the time, people always say, can you do this paperwork for me? And I really don't do paperwork for people, you know, I just don't. But I tell people all the time, I'm more inclined to come speak with you if you have a group, because then it's not just about your situation or my situation, there's an exchange of information, and then we, you know, that's the best that we can do, at least for right now, you know, pull some study groups together, real study groups, not just get on for, you know, to
3: get all the information and go. Research and bring something back. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we bust for uh, for a break and uh, and Collins, um, can these processes that you've mentioned also assist with general discharging of debts and criminal cases, or is this just about property? Um,
2: for the most part, you know, like the foia, you know, I mean, administrative procedure, and foia, and and these type of things, it's gonna, you know, everything to some degree is civil. Um, but it's this. What, so what we've talked about to this point is really just it's more, you know, suitable for, I like you say, debt collector debt collection and mortgage type of things, establishing facts for those type of proceedings. Maybe bits and pieces of this would be used in like criminal proceedings, but you know that's and that's something I didn't spend a lot of time on, which is what our organization is really primarily all about. You know, helping with this prison industrial complex. But there's a lot more debt that, that things
3: that we do when we're Dealing with that side of it, you know. Alrighty. um Finally, uh, I see on your website uh, Trust dot org that it's a, a membership based site. Um, why is that? Um, a lot of sites have everything open to everybody. Uh, why do you insist on membership?
2: For me, it's uh because one that's a conscious you know that's a conscious decision that the individual chose to become a member and, bec- and become a part of, and it creates a I guess you would say a, a certain level of, uh, of privacy, although that's relative, too. So um, but yeah, it's pretty much, uh, it, it, it's, you know, there's no, you know, there is no, you know, the, you, the, I guess people have maybe certain expectations of me, but there is no certain obligation. There is no certain rules. It's not, we don't run ourselves like a corporation, you know, for this. So we, we, we are just the trust in sharing information. So membership is free. Um so yeah, membership has always been free. And then we have a premium membership also, which is uh twenty four dollars donation per month and that really helps us with the research that we're doing uh with the prison system as the uh slave 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 trade, I guess you'll call it.
3: All right, cool. Hey Tex, thanks a lot. Uh we're about an hour into the show. Are you ready to take some questions from our listeners? Always, yeah, that's cool. Okay, terrific. Let's take a short two-minute break. Let everybody uh, gather up their thoughts and refresh themselves. We'll be right back with the question and answer portion of our show here on the Gallant Goose and Friends with our guest, consumer researcher, economic philosopher, and coach, Tex Lee Masson of THCTrust.org. See you guys in a minute. Welcome to the
1: Gallant Goose and Friends. A weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 6:45 Eastern here on Talkshoe.com, Program number 139335. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stanley, reminding y'all when it comes to saving your house, don't let the Bank of Blues stop you from getting all your clues. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage, foreclosure, defense, and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guests and callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, the Untouchables, and Operation Greylord, where the motto is vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more, plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders, including RESPA, FDCPA, and TILA Rescission. With the help of our guests, We'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. Thank you all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to the Gallagus and Friends. If you're just tuning in, we are here with our guest, consumer researcher, economic philosopher, and coach, Tax Lee Masson of THCTrust.org. As a reminder to our callers, to ask a question, please press store 8 on your phone to raise your hand and be placed into the queue. When you are unmuted, please say your name, where you're calling from, and your question. If you've got a noisy background, you can always mute yourself after asking your question by pressing star 6 on the phone. For those of you who are just on the chat board, please feel free to type in a question, and I will do my best to read them in in the order in which they were received. Okay? Are you with us, Tex? I'm here. Alrighty, our first question seems to be from North Georgia. Uh hello North Georgia, welcome to the call.
4: Uh peace and blessings. Um first of all, I'd like to uh, uh say thanks uh to you, uh, brother Tex-Masson. Uh, uh, I am a, a member of the uh THC uh trust uh, site. Um as well, um I I will be uh moving up to the premium level uh, very very briefly uh i have I have two two uh concerns uh number one i've entered into the um jurisdiction of the of the uh united States uh uh bankruptcy court here in Memphis Tennessee. Uh, and I was looking at ways of in which I could actually discharge uh, uh that debt. You know, I've been I've been told that I need to uh file my ten ninety nine uh OID, my A and cancellation of debt, a, as well as uh, uh I think it's ten forty and some other forms to uh go ahead and initiate that with the um with the uh Secretary of State as well as with the IRS and with the uh with, hey,
2: courses, no. so. um, with all due respect, I don't think I can help you with any of that. I don't do any ten ninety nine and 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 all of that. And it sounds to me that you're trying to do this while you're in a bankruptcy proceeding right now. And you didn't you didn't start the proceeding like that, did you? I mean, you were just in a normal type of bankruptcy proceeding, or did you file any uh, paperwork as far as establishing a trust or anything in that regard?
4: No, uh, actually, I would I would need to. Uh I need to uh, go and correct my status as well because Yeah, this for some...
2: girl, um, yeah, respectfully though, this is not really it's not really this is not uh not that kind of call. I guess I kinda of get into like a personal bankruptcy, but to be honest with you, you know, what I would tell you is this if you're a member on the site, you got my email. I don't I don't know about that. I hear about discharging debts and things in bankruptcy proceedings. I don't know anything about that, to be honest with you. I just you know, I know there's something there. I never dove into that study. I don't know if I would be trying to approach it that way, but I say, you know, shoot me an email, and I say shoot me an email because if somebody's listening to the call and they know that procedure, because I know people have success with that, you know, maybe I'll connect you with that person, but I think that's a little bit, you know, I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to do, but I don't want to go, like, way into that type of thing because I can tell you, unless great. knows something, I don't know about that type of proceeding. <laughs>
3: Uh, That's a little bit outside the uh, scope of what we got going on here right now, but definitely something that can be dealt with um, on a personal level. And again, uh, a reminder to everybody, um, when there are people on the call who are looking to make connections with other people on the call, we don't recommend that you give your personal information out loud here, but if you were asking for a service, you could always write... To either text or to myself at uh, thegallantgoose at gmail dot com, and then if you were offering help to one of those parties, you could then extend yourself, and then we can hook you up. But right. Um, right. we we would like to protect everybody's privacy because Lord only knows where these calls go eventually, and uh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we don't want to have this turn into a mess. Uh, you know, email campaign from some unknown vendor who wants you to buy a microwave. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So uh, I hope that answers your question. At least uh, gets you moving. Um, we don't have an answer, but we're not uh, bailing out on our responsibility to try to help. Try to help you get connected. All right, righty. Um, going on to uh, Washington. Hello, Washington. Please tell us who you are. And if you're really calling from Washington, then what's your question?
6: Uh, yes, I'm really calling from Washington. Can you hear me? Quite well, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, uh, peace to y'all. Um, yeah, I, I'm uh, going through, well, I'm working on a, uh, a foreclosure right now. And um, a couple of the things that I've tried to do, well, first, just to qualify myself, um, you know, I've been, uh, been uh, following for a couple of years now. Um, so well, I definitely am familiar with you, brother, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Uh, and uh, I'm coming to this call because I got your email, so that was awesome. Um, so, you know, I'm working on a foreclosure right now, and a couple of the things that I've done so far is, um, you know, I've done – I've sent them a, a notice of adverse claim. Um, I haven't uh, – I I can't say that I necessarily did a dispute the debt yet, but – I have sent them, you know, letters asking them for, you know, the basic fundamental things like the, the no and, uh, you know, those basic things. But my question is um, now I've been paying attention to um, equity. So what I'm working on now is uh, basically redepositing the deed of trust into the county, Um as a special deposit. And I wanted to know, uh, Tex, if you had uh, been familiar with equity or with uh, certain types of deposits yet.
2: Um, yeah. Like some of what you're talking about is tapping into some very uh, recent research of mine. A lot of people that I'm studying with everybody now is like the wave of inf- information is coming down. Everybody's talking about special deposits Now I don't, see how you can make sure that there might be any type of remedy by doing this with the mortgage deed. Um, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't I don't, see, you know, how you may do it with the mortgage deed, but let me just say, I'm not saying it's not possible, but in my thought process is, and again, in my pro- thought process is, first thing is discharge it. You know, that's my thought, pro- you know, it's just a simple approach, discharge it, and if anybody's making a claim, did they ever give you a loan in the first place? Now,
6: right. now I'm doing that in the deposit. I'm actually um, within that uh, redepositing so, a deed. So why,
2: why on a mortgage? That's what I need.
6: I don't understand. Why would you do it with the mortgage though? With the, you're talking about the security deed, right? Uh, the the trust that's down at the county. Yeah.
2: Why? Why? Yeah. That, that's what I don't understand. Uh, we,
6: okay. Um, the reason why, you know, just um, qualifying, like, you know, and, and you know, we're 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 intellectuals, so this is this is the beauty of us being able to talk about this. And um, but the reason why I was going from that direction is because I could see that, hey, this is on this is in the public record, right? And once again, we're we're dealing with MERS, right? And we know the fraud that MERS has been doing, right? So, why? What's a the
2: promising have... note though? It's if if all the federal statute say that the promissory note in the bill of exchange is cash. I mean right. I know that everything that they're depositing in is out of the court, that's yeah. a withdrawal or deposit. But why not a promissory note? Why not give them a
6: promissory note?
2: Instead of uh yeah, instead of re depositing
6: the mortgage. You know, I, I just, just like like it's it's already paid for. So if it's already if I already paid for it at closing, everything was already done why am I giving them another promissory note? And I mean, I know they're the. This is all about taxes, right? right? So, really, what's being done is taxes. So, based no, on saying, re- I,
2: I understand what you're saying, and I think you have a point. But the, my just logic, my thought process is that yes. even though you're right, and it's already been paid for, why are you paying them again? I understand that logic. So, my yeah, thought process yeah. is they're gonna look at you like, oh, here comes another one. When you're trying to do that, they ain't gonna hear it. That's my thought process. When you're trying to do a re-record, they're not going to acknowledge that. And yeah. in, in, in my process, thought process is the person who's doing the indexing down there, because a, it's an indexing that's going on, which I think is equivalent to measuring, you know, satisfaction, yeah. something like that. I don't think they're going to kick it like that. I, don't think, I think you have a better chance, because think about this person. If they're indexing, they're used to dealing with a certain type of thing or very similar to it. And if it comes outside of what they're used to, you know, that's just my thought process. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I don't think you might get the well,
6: desired result. You said they're used to, right? When you say yeah. they're used to, are you talking about the clerk?
2: I'm talking about the people behind the clerk in my thought process. Because, you know, say you send in, like I was talking about earlier, you send in half the day a satisfaction. It goes right. to the clerk, right? But as soon as right. it goes to her, there's something that takes place where there's, like, you know how, like, everything with this birth certificate is about indexing. This is a term to pay attention to. Everything is indexed against a legal description, which is a, like a property, like the like legal description of a property, or a legal name. And this is how all the securities and interest is created. So my thought process is the indexing of the instrument a mortgage, like I might not be right, but just look at it on that level, I'm thinking I know I can see how you might can do it with a promissory note, just because it's going to make it through more of the uh, more of the hurdles that need to be got through. As far as one, it is you know there's trees and stuff that that you know uh, take the instrument. In. Now, if you're going to do that with the mortgage, I still got some stuff for you to look at, you know. But the thing is that you're going to have to be pushing. I think you're going to have to deal with it on the financial side. You know, you're going to have to deal with the fact that even though you're re-recording a mortgage, that there's some financial satisfaction that needs to be taking place, and that's dealing with assets and liabilities.
6: So then right. And to that's, into, then, yeah. then, then that deposit, I'm actually using that verbiage where I'm telling them that this depositing is, is actually being done to um to handle those outstanding liabilities. Look at your
2: optional form '90s and '91s and all that stuff too. I would just say that, right? You know?
6: yeah, yeah. I was just getting into that too. That's pretty dope. And 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 I thought that was pretty cool. Like looking at um, title 31, and seeing how that's mixed in there with that accepting gifts. Like, okay, you know, well, I have
2: something for you. So just shoot me an email because I want to give some other people some time. But you're like on the same stuff that I'm on right
6: now. So yes, sir. cool, my man. All right, cool.
2: Peace to the gods.
3: All righty. Thanks a lot, Washington. Uh, let's go to California. Hello, California. You're Uh Mention Hello. your name. Uh, what's your question is, please? Hello. Hello. You're with us. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, what's your name, please? This is Tony. Hello, Tony. Uh, what question do you have for tax? Uh, basically,
7: I just wanted to know about if a person doesn't have a mortgage. Like, I, I know someone who had, their house was taken, and they didn't have a mortgage. And I wonder what, I, I didn't know what to tell them. Um, so I wondered if he had come across something like that. Or the a person's home was taken, because he, well, I think it's because he gave them power of attorney, because there was more property, and they came to him and said, we need to liquidate this property, we need, and then once they got power of attorney, they took his house. They sold his house for a dollar to the bank and didn't tell him.
3: California, are you? California, are you on a landing strip somewhere? It sounds like airport. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will. Uh, I will unmute myself now.
8: So there is a the question. <laughs> did you hear it? No. Yeah. My question.
2: I did hear the uh, question, and I think you answered okay. the question. No, I I did hear the question, and without having the full background, I'm sure we're missing some of it, but if we're not missing any of it, I think you gave us the answer when you said he gave somebody the power of attorney, and in return, they sold it. You know, that's, you know, they they got him. You know, I don't know how he didn't have a mortgage. Did he do, like, a process, you know? Oh,
7: see, the house was given to him. Somebody died, and they left him the house. There was other property. And the bank took the other property, and then when he gave him power of attorney, they took his too.
2: Yeah, now that, they said I mean, they weren't.
4: Just,
2: yeah, he might just have to go through public recourse, you know, get an attorney and go up. But I mean, he gave that power of attorney. I thought they did it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's well, one I of think. the one
3: of the well one of the scary things about powers of attorney is, in a lot of and a lot of people's closing documents that their closing tables. um... There's actually a phrase in there where you grant where you grant the other party to have power of attorney over you in a foreclosure case. Hold on. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds, um, imagine that the attorney representing the bank foreclosing against you is also your attorney representing you, saying that uh, he's there to allow you to allow the foreclosure. I mean, you've got to really read those documents at the closing table to understand, and even if it happens afterwards, go back and reread them. And you can always issue a, a rescission of any power of attorney that might have been hidden in there that you didn't know about.
2: Yeah, in that particular case, I think his gentleman was saying that they they, uh, they didn't even have a mortgage, so that's just an odd situation, I guess. I don't know how he gave it.
3: Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Uh, let's now please go to what looks like North Central Orange County. I'm guessing California. Hello. Hello, North Central Orange County.
9: Hello. Uh, uh, Hi. Good evening.
3: Who are you, and what is your question?
9: Oh, this is Christine. Um, I had a question about um the living trust establishment when trying to get somebody. Uh, Prison or failed. Would you? Can you hear me clearly?
2: I can hear you very loud and clear. here. <laughs>
9: oh, very loud. Good. Okay. All right. okay. Well, um, I would. I just needed a, a run, a quick rundown, like the uh, process of um, doing this. Um, would you have to have um, to made an agreement with the person that is? In, uh,
2: under indictment or in, in prison prior? Um, well, you no, know, what I would say, I, I think I know what you're asking me, and I asked one of my colleagues this, you know, I, so, f- from my study and research, it reasons to me that anybody who's competent can be the trustee for a living trust yeah. and an executive for an estate. Now, what surprised me, like, I never, you know, we're doing a lot of research in this regard. We're putting things in place, but we've, I haven't had to yet kind of you know do what you're asking, but I will say i've had i have a couple of friends some probably are even on this call which actually surprised me they have been able to go into the federal courts with living trust and represent the uh estate of whoever that other
9: uh okay so, so uh, is. Uh, uh, another party other than the person incarcerated
2: yeah. correct but I, but I, yes but I, but I've seen what happens typically. Is, uh, I mean, it's the same concept, whether the person is incarcerated or not. In their case, the person was standing right there with them, but it's the same. It doesn't, you know, the thing is, you have to, you have to get the, uh, you have to have evidence of that. You have to have some type of proof, some type of, you know, I'm just saying, I think that door can be got through, but there may be some resistance, and it's just one of those things that at the end of the day, I'm sure that you can do that. But I would say you always got to be, exercise some caution. You know, I don't know know what the person is, but exercise some
9: caution. So you'd want to be like a third party intervener for that party. (laughs) But the thing is, is that both parties have to, um, I mean, the, like I would be (laughs) the executor or executrix and the nurse needs (laughs) to be frustrated.
2: We're researching, we're doing this type of research right now. And I will say this, you know, you don't have to be, become the executor in order for that to happen, but I'll say this: if it's like a husband and a wife, then maybe you know it make it probably would make it a whole lot easier if the one that's out is you know executor or something, you know, kind of relationship. But, but what I would say is this: that's just one part. So at some level, I'm thinking the establishment of a trust relationship or who you are in relation to the estate, your authority to redeem the securities or whatever it is that has. The body being warehoused because that's kind of like yeah. what's going on, you know. Yeah. So, they, so a lot of it's going to come down to the competency, and then when the full competency is there, the, the paperwork is not going to be the preventing statute. They're not going to be like, oh no, no, you can't do this because you, you know, you're, you're, no, no, no. So yeah. yeah. Um. Mm-hmm.
9: Another question was, um. Now, um. Say, uh, would a living trust help? Uh, be like a preventative um like a preventive uh, process for not getting in jail or going to jail or prison. Um, um I say for, say, do you have a warrant?
2: No, you know? I wouldn't say no, no, I wouldn't say all inclusive, but a living trust is part of your overall uh overall correction of your affairs. You know, okay. doing your business. There's different ways um that you maybe I would say that you would probably deal with the warrant um you know what I'm, indict- I'm sorry oh, An I indictment, indict- yeah yeah a warrant indictment there there's there'll be there's all kinds of different ways um, yes, i mean, let me ask you this what are you- are you studying different are you studying anything in particular to do with the indictments right now or with indictments no
9: warrant? i i mean okay. i'm a i'm a full time mother I, I have my hands okay, full, well, but whenever i just I, I do.
2: Let me um let me look right here. I think let me look uh you know you have you do you understand that a lot of these like seizures, warrants, indictments and things like that, those are maritime do you do you know that those yes, are maritime procedures? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do understand. Have you have you found uh where's my notes here? I wish I had it up. I was about to say, have you found I wanna say the you know, Title thirty one, have you found Title a different place under And, like, Rule 64, Rule 67, have you looked at these maritime procedures, procedures, and have you looked at those in the uh, Rules of Civil Procedure? Okay. I think some of the things you want to look at is if you go, like, look at Rule 64, Rule 67, Uh and when you Google Uh these things, also look at the... um, I've got
9: the big 10th edition... uh, um. (laughs) Black laws. They say I don't know if that will be in there. Would it be in there, or I'd have to go to the civil procedures?
2: Oh, are you? Um, do you have access to a computer? Um, yes. Yeah, I was saying you can. Uh, do you do some of your research online, or no? You just. Yeah.
9: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm. Well, I mean, I have my iPhone, and that's about as far as the computer gets. But um,
2: Oh but yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah, well, I was gonna say when you deal with indict- like when you deal with indictment um, yeah. on a federal level, I was saying they got the federal rules of civil procedure, and I think if you look at uh, rule sixty-four, rule sixty-seven, if you read those, I just I'm just going off of my head right now. Do you read the um read the commentaries? Or when I say read the commentaries, usually it'll take you like Cornell Law Institute. You can okay. read the commentaries, but what I was trying to encourage you to do is, uh, read about, uh, the seizures and the, and, you know, I don't know to what study that we have, but that's really what's kind of going on. When it's dealing with the okay. warrant, there's some, uh, you know, there's a, you know, it's going to be very advanced probably for where you are, but there's a lot of, uh, financial things that's going on in the background. Um, unfortunately, yeah. I can't explain all that yeah. to, like, right now, but, yeah.
9: Yeah, I
8: understand.
9: But, yeah, but there's just too
2: many people incarcerated for, for like, nonviolent yeah, non and, and the way, yes, and, and we're working on that. So a lot of things, we're just kind of loosely talking about it right now because, you know, you also have, I mean, I'm also learning that, you know, I can't divulge certain things, not because I'm under no secret agreement or nothing, but some information is just not uh, good to be just handed out. In, in oh, case. yeah. I yeah. You, you, know, you can harm yourself with it if you're not, you no. Know, but I will say oh, you're exactly right. And, and and but I will tell you to get further to further understand what's going on, look into the procedures of seizures and uh, forfeitures. Because that's forfeitures the exact same thing. Me. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all the same procedure. When when you read these procedures, and it's for everybody listening, start from the beginning. You got you gotta pay attention to those things that you don't understand. Like if you hear something says an undertaking, say, well, what is an undertaking? Because sometimes they use different words because they don't want to make things apparent. So when you get into these processes of seizures and possessions and you start looking up the words, you're going to start figuring out what's going on from the time they arrest and the time they give a warrant and the time they go to a preliminary hearing to when they want you to plead. All this stuff is laid out, but they're just using a. A, a few different words to keep you off balance. So, yeah. And I'm trying to – I'm doing some research in that regard right now, and, and many people that have been to THC Trust.org, they know I'll disappear for a while because I'm doing research and I'm putting together maybe like a document and putting some notes together. We're going to be putting yeah. some information on that, and we'll be putting some information
3: together on that.
9: Yeah. Thank you. That that was really informative. Um.
3: Uh, if if you don't mind, uh, we'd like to move on to uh, our next callers. Uh, We'll just remind everybody that uh, you can press star 8 on your phone. Um, There's two or three folks in the queue right now, so it's not that much of a wait. Um, Also, if you're only on the chat board, please type a question on there that you'd like to ask, and we'll try to read that into the phone call as we move forward. All right. Uh, how are you holding up there, Tex? Oh, I'm holding up good. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All righty. So we've got about 20 minutes of calls left, and we got about a half a dozen folks with their hand up. So we'll start with Western Tennessee. Take a breath, and here we go. Welcome, Western Tennessee. Hello. Please, please state your name and oh, okay. uh, what your question is. Okay. My name is Richard,
8: and I wanted to ask Tex about, some documents that he, you know, well, well I'm, I'm in the process of, uh, they're trying to foreclose on my house. And it's uh, two documents that he, um gave me. I think it's a quick deed and a memorandum trust. But it's another one that he had and it was like, um like a preemptive strike or something like that. Um, I can't think of what it's called. It's called. Um, it's, it's called. It's, it's like a. Oh boy. Um, okay. How to transfer your property into a trust? All
3: right. And what is your question?
8: Okay. Well, how do, how do you do that? I mean, do you know? I, even if I never, I never. Um, um, you know how you go down there and you sign. The amendment for the property or something like that, or, or uh, acknowledge the title. I've never done that. So do I? Do I have to do that first? Hey, I, I need to ask a question. Um, the, uh, some third-party uh, people are trying to come after my home uh, bank. But um, what they're trying to do, they're saying that that on April in April they're going to foreclose on my house. But what I was looking at was a document that. Uh, I was sent Mr. Banks has sent me as a quick claim in a memorandum of trust, but i never I never went down to the court to
2: that's not yeah, but that's not gonna stop your foreclosure, bro. That's not gonna you gotta do more than that. Okay. You All have right. have you uh you're are you in a judicial state or a non judicial state? Non judicial. So, are you familiar with the whole process? Are you familiar with their foreclosure process? You know, like, do you know how to know what phase that you're in? Or no. Do, do I know how to do what? Okay. So the non-judicial state means there's a uh, there's a certain process that they have to go through. You right. Know, it, 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 so do you know that process? Or you know? No. It, no. So, yeah, well, one, you got to familiarize yourself with the process, but if you're about to run out of time in April, you need to do something, which might be, you know, when I say mean, do something, you need to buy yourself some time, which is might be either filing a civil action, uh, you might look at potential bankruptcy if it's that serious and you need to do that, or loss mitigation, but if you got to... If you're worried about losing your time in a short amount of time and you don't have a full strategy plan, I don't know how well you know, like, private side stuff, but in the short term, you gotta you got to get yourself some time. If they're really foreclosing in April, you know, because yeah, typically they may have sent you a letter and you might just write them back a letter challenging the debt and you push back that date because there's a process that has to take place. But I don't know, you know, you have to first familiarize yourself with the foreclosure process in your state. But uh, what is your overall strategy anyway? Did you have a plan other than putting it in a truck? Uh, We're
3: going to – I think we answered that question pretty well for Richard. Uh, We're going to move on now to Michigan, okay? Somebody typed in the question, how can I prepare an administrative process to prevent foreclosure just in case I lose my job?
2: (laughs) Well, I can answer part of that. Take out the in-case-you-lose-your-job part. I don't think that's a part of it. But, um, you know, if you, if you, if you feel that you're in some type of slave contract one side, if you feel that you have some valid reason for an administrative procedure, you can learn how to do it. You know, if you go to our website, thctrust.org, uh, we have some videos there that kind of break down the administrative procedure. Some videos where I talk about it, and we even have some templates. So you can do all it is is just learn about it and then do it. I think it
3: brings brings up an extremely important point, and that is when you attack the alleged creditor, who probably is not a real creditor, when you are in a position of power and in honor, without having defaulted on any of your obligations, you can actually put that together with more authority than you can when you're a foreclosed debtor. And people should think about it. People should take it.
2: yeah, the only right, reason why so. I don't mention that because you know I also want people to know you might still be in for a fight on your hand, but you great to hit the nail right on the head. you know, be proactive if you can. don't wait until you get into a problem
3: yeah right and 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 you know what, for you older folks in the crowd, teach your children that are twenty five to thirty years old about all this stuff. Let's go to Michigan, hello, Michigan, yeah, hello. Welcome to the call. Please state your name and your question and uh, try to keep it short because we're trying to get everybody in before we have to wrap up here in about 20 minutes.
5: All right. Uh, yeah, my name is Efi. First of all, I definitely want to tender my respect uh, to uh, to you, Tex. Got a lot of respect for you. Uh, have learned quite a bit from you over the, over the last few years. Just, just a lot of respect for you, man. So with that being said, my question is, as I did, uh, I know – the, uh, it sounded like you was about to go into it with the other caller about dealing with a warrant. You know, uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to hear what you had to say about that.
2: Okay. What I'll do is because this is I have some pretty much new information that came out of our prison study, and I have the things written down, so I'd have to say email me, specifically say ask me if I have any information about the warrant, and I'll shoot you the email on that because I do have some information and there's a certain place you're supposed to take it. But it's just not resident. So shoot me an email. Are you on you, you got my email right? Do you know it?
5: Uh yeah, yeah, I got I got your email. Uh, that's okay. What I, cool. I learned about learned about the call tonight. And then I also just wanted to drop that too. I know some of the other callers were uh the last caller he was asking about uh trust information. You know, I'm I'm definitely not affiliated with these people in any way, but I did go ahead and get their books. Uh there's a woman named Gwen Wyckoff. Uh she has a
3: book mm-hmm. uh, called Passing the Buck. Sir, uh would you mind spelling that name?
5: Oh, uh yeah, sure. It's uh Gwen uh I believe that's uh G W Y N N last name, Wyckoff, W Y C O F F, I believe. Um and then they uh they have a book called Passing the Buck, Volume One. Now Volume One is fifty bucks. Um I got that. And I really, I really, it was a lot of really good information in there. It's pretty good. And then volume two is actually $500. Uh, so, you know, by then I, I just went ahead and got um, nine other family members to ship in and we just all put in 50 apiece and got the book. Uh, but plan. volume two is really good. Yeah. So uh, I just want to put that out there.
3: That, that's a great plan. You put together uh, an assembly with uh, uh, your family members. That's great.
5: Absolutely. That's what that's what it's really about. I mean, that's what trust is about for real. It's really about uh, bringing people together, aggregating your resources, you know, putting you know, and just really working together. I mean, that's the right. that's the real way <laughs> to really make it through life, you know, and uh, securing those assets, whatever you can produce for your heirs, for your family, you know, and just moving ahead like that. So, uh, yeah. All right. Thank but, uh, you. With so that, I, I, I'll definitely you.
3: Okay, cool, um, okay All righty. Cool. You know, one of the things people forget about here in America is if the people who live here, who are the American native people, the citizens of America, don't own the land that they live on, there is no United States of America. Because if the electors who elect the representatives do not represent themselves, the actual land upon which they live... There is no country. So that is why we must have our land and our property, because that's the only thing that really gives us true authority to elect anybody to represent us in any form of government in this country. That's a really silly thing that many, many of our guests on the show in the past have said, and it's very serious. Let's move on to central Alabama for a minute. Uh, I haven't been down to Alabama. Yes. How are you doing, yes. Central Alabama? What's your name? I am. I,
10: I'm Gwen, and uh, I wanted. I'm, I'm not sure. I got on late, and I got the message late. late. Uh, but I have a question. I'm not sure if it's. Uh, if, if it's about a credit. I have a financial aid, federal financial aid, and they're getting ready. Uh, they're threatening me with. Um, uh, uh, garnishing my Social Security check, is that possible? Can they do that?
2: Well, definitely they can. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure they can. They're not just threat- And You said it's a federal? It's a federal loan?
10: It's a, a student loan. It's a student loan. Um, oh. And they, yes, that I
2: had gotten years ago, years, well, years ago. I'm certain that they can. there is probably something you can do about it. What I would say is usually when it comes to things like student loan, I actually have a guy, Unless Greg, unless you have something with that, within THCTrust.org, once you log into the website, there's a gentleman that usually all the things kind of like that, I just let him deal with the credit stuff. Um, I've never, i personally never dealt with the student loan type of situation, but my thought process is have you ever gotten to like the, I mean, how, is, are you just kinda of like brand new to this or have you gotten to any type like, discharging debts and things like that?
10: Well, uh I I been I joined your site and I uh listened to you um and I got some of your notice about the uh credit thing and I did did just uh today with Bright House and they actually um took my took that uh bill out of the database. 'Cause I said what you told me to say. Uh, that um, I, I need to see the contract, and if the contract mm-hmm. is not there, would you be willing to move that out of your database? And they
2: right. moved it out of the database. Right. Um, well, but let me say with the um, – I don't know, but with the student loan thing, just do a little research on it. i say go through the site, call the brother in there. I, you know, he may have – you know, he does some uh, – Consulting, but he might just talk with you about that. You know, the, the, you know, okay. can I ask him can it be removed? Because I really don't know and it, and, and my gut feeling is telling me it depends on who's coming after it. Will they really threaten, Is you know, if it, it depends, is this some little rinky-dink collection company? They're probably just huffing and puffing. But if it's, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know much about the it. Used, it
8: used to be
10: Sally Mae, and then they they went to um, I think it's called Marina or something like that. Navient. It's called Navian. And they do all the uh, stuff for um, um, financial aid.
2: But I'll tell you what you also can do, like the other caller, shoot me an email because, mm-hmm. you know, i got to start building these resources because there's certain things that I deal with and certain things that it's not that I can't deal with. It's just that I'm focused on other things. But there's many people that deal with the student loan issues. So just shoot me an email and say, do you know anybody that can help with student loans? And if anybody out there is listening, because there's a lot of people that listen to this call that can do amazing things with the IRS, student loans, and a lot of different things. If you're someone that can handle student loans pretty good, shoot me an email, and I'll send some people to you as they ask the question. That's what I do.
3: So in general, in general on this, uh, I just want to mention that uh, if anybody is dealing with a third-party debt collector, they're dealing with a business who purchased the original debt from the original creditor, And the original creditor has now lost control and ownership of that debt. However, you have no contractual agreement with that speculative third-party debt collector who bought it for pennies on the dollar in order to come after you. So you can then do an entire administrative process like uh, Tex has been talking about and have them prove up or shut up. And in most cases, you can kill a third-party debt collector. All right? I'm sure that Tex agrees with that statement. Indeed. Let us go now to New York as we're starting to run out of time, and I want to get everybody in here that can. Hello, New York. Please state your name and what your question is, please.
11: Uh, how you doing? Great. Great. My question is, my name is uh, Dexter from New York, and my question is about a foreign trust. Can you deposit, like, your vehicle, your home in a foreign trust for jurisdiction purposes to, like, let the vehicle or the home now becomes, like, foreign soil?
2: My 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 thought process is going to say that's going to be very complicated. Probably could, couldn't be done unless you were dealing with, like, diplomatic status, you know, whether you were doing that through tribal or through some type of nationality. You would have to have some type of, I'm thinking, some type of diplomatic status, acknowledgement, and you have to have the manufacturer statement of origin for the vehicle. You wouldn't be able to, cause, you know, all these pieces of property right now have domestic titles, so to speak, or quasi-titles yes. with the certificate of title of your car and things like that. So I just don't, it'd be, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but, you know, I don't even think if, you know, I, I probably wouldn't pursue that route, but I don't think so,
3: you know. Well, actually. so. Actually, uh, Tex, I think that uh, your strategy of um, having all of your property owned by a trust is actually more (laughs) important, and then the trust is absent the funds in order to pay for the car, so you, the man, provides the funding as a loan to the trust and then has the first position lien on it. Which is a whole lot more effective. It's a whole yeah. lot more effective. Yeah, and 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 that's and
2: really that's what I think it. You know, this is again this is strategy in my thought, and I agree with Greg. You know, the idea is not to go to the, you know, when we go foreign. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but my overall strategy is to be able to protect, you know, the affairs of the estate. You know, so, you know, things like I don't know if you have to go. You know, super foreign like that, but don't get it wrong you know I'm all for it putting a property in trust, putting a car in trust, and everything else. But when you say foreign trust, you know you know maybe I'm confusing because you can put it in the common law trust, and that to some degree is foreign, but you know
3: right to the extent I mean, that it is okay um, we we're, we're trying to okay, so if you'll bear with me and I apologize to everyone for the brevity of uh the opportunities to speak here. So please have your questions prepared as questions and not as narratives because we're running out of time and we've got about a half a dozen more folks that would like to get a chance to speak with Tex. All right, we're going to go to uh, West North Carolina right now. Hello, West North Carolina. Please tell us your name and your question.
11: Good evening, Tex. This is
3: Gordon. Um, I have a question about
11: uh, estates. And I was compelled to close an estate from the clerk. Um, a month later, I was served with papers. Uh, the estate was one of the parties, served with papers for foreclosure. Um, we're not successful. And I'm wondering about reopening the estate to rewind that, this foreclosure and to keep it open, perhaps, as the estate of Elvis, if it's appropriate. Is that clear? Um,
2: what you know, you're just getting my opinion. That would be the thought that comes to my mind. I would reopen it, but that's just my opinion. I'm not, I'm not, you know, deep on that subject. But yeah, I would. I sure would. That's where your authority is.
3: Okay. Um. Let's go next to New York. New York. Your question for tax, Your name, please.
11: Uh, my name is Dex again, and I'm trying to get a question on UCC filings on property. I researched
2: for properties and I found that, that there's actually UCC one filings on the property. Could you explain some of that? You said you, you there's a there's a UCC filing on a property that you researched. Yeah, something? I, I would find. Yeah, you to find might want you know, so you might want to go contact that see who that security and somebody and that was and somebody's serious about their security interest if they filed a UCC one. You might want to uh, contact the, the the filing party, find out. You know, what the nature of their interest is. Or, yeah, that's, yeah, you got to.
8: <laughs> it's saying that they own it.
2: Well, did you talk to them? <laughs> oh, I,
11: think, yeah. I, I was actually trying to. I've actually been looking through properties to try to find properties that either have no mortgages on them to try to find investors. And through that process, I've actually found properties that are basically found as owners and there's UCC rule statements on them.
2: Right, so that's what I'm saying. They got, somebody's got a claim on That property is what it means. So if you're trying to resolve that claim, you might want to talk to them and present your claim. Somebody's put a claim on it. That's a claim. You could do it too if you had a claim. So, Interesting. yeah, it's kind of important. Let me and let me say this note, note real quick. Uh, yeah, so people do that. When you get that. You got to investigate it. That's that's what you got to do. Find out what the claim is. There's pro, you know, there's a uh, processes to remove saying if, if it's not about a claim or nobody's holding on to it. That's, that's all I can really say about that.
3: <laughs> all uh We're going to Ynet, number one. Hello, Ynet, number one.
12: Hi. How are you doing? Good.
3: Uh, is yep, your name yes, Ynet?
12: Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that is so funny. It came out of Ynet. It's my middle name. <laughs> um, yes, sir. Yeah I was, really? I was calling in about um, actually um, a foreclosure, that um I'm actually in a non- uh, I'm in Texas, so I'm in a judicial um state, and they um attempted to do foreclosure last year on my house, and I um immediately went and filed chapter thirteen bankruptcy and so that was last year, nothing I didn't proceed with the bankruptcy or anything like that. It was dismissed um so now they the attorney immediately tried to do the bankruptcy i mean tried to do the foreclosure last year. This year he comes back with another letter, and this time he's asking for a verification of the you know, property and everything. So I sent him a letter, and I'm just waiting on a response now. And I also sent a qualifying request to the the servicer as well. That's gotcha. good. And, yeah, so, um, and I also well, signed up to, be a UC, to do my UCC 1 and 3 and to add the house to it as well to try to give me some protection.
2: Got it. Okay, uh, so
12: my question is, um, you know, is there anything else that I need to do to, since I am in a non um, state, to kind of protect myself even more?
2: I mean, as once again, as far as the mortgage goes, it kind of goes kind of where I'm saying, you know, what, what we're saying. That's why I feel you do your administrative procedures, you perfect your records, then you put on a quiet title action. You go quiet title action to silence everybody, to silence all. Um, but, but. I might not be able to precisely answer your question, but what I want to encourage you and everybody listening is, you know, I know a lot of people are worried about their individual uh, thing that they're dealing with, but what I'm trying to encourage everybody to do is to get such a deep understanding of everything that's taking place because then you'll start going right to the core.
3: You know, you won't be looking for, like, a remedy, but we'll do
12: that. All right. Thank you all so much.
3: All All right. Thank you, Annette. And... That means that we've got time for one more phone call. Um, after this one, New York, you got one more shot here. Go ahead. Uh,
11: my question
3: is, up from New York. My question is,
11: consideration. There's a real estate law term called consideration. where the bank shouldn't be involved and con involves I have mine. You have yours. If the bank, I'm sorry, if the owner has their equity in the property and the purchaser has their money or their credit, then the bank shouldn't be involved. Can can you process that? Can you process a claim in court against a foreclosure or any of that? That the bank didn't have consideration; they didn't have their part.
2: Well, I you well know, that's the largest part of my administrative procedure. So so basically, my private records that I'm perfecting because you know they they're going to duck that point. You know, if you try to bring that up in court, they're going to duck it and dance around it. But my but we know they didn't, and they're not going to bring no. Well, I don't know if you know that, but I know that they didn't bring any consideration. And I know how to establish that on the record. So that's what yeah, the
11: I'm trying to find it up there. I believe there's a court case actually on file from the 1920s, but I can't find I've been researching it for about maybe like a month now, and I'm trying to find it. There is a case on file, I believe.
2: That's I have case. a bunch of cases. Well, okay. sure. Yeah, I have a bunch of case law that talks about the fact that about... The lending and the banks can't lend. I have a whole I got some case law I can share with you. I don't know maybe it's a lot. Maybe what you need might be in there. I don't know.
3: I'm sorry. Uh, the banks can only lend their money. They can't lend their credit. And they can't lend their depositors money or their depositors credit. But they don't
2: have no money.
11: <laughs> right. I can email you for some information, correct?
2: Yeah. You got my email address?
13: I believe I do. Yes.
2: Okay, yeah, ask me about the case law. Be specific to ask me about the words, or I won't remember because I'll get so many people emailing. But ask about those case laws, and I tell you what I got.
3: Thank you so much. You. I appreciate All right, thank you, New York. Um, we got one more caller who is our last in the uh, door here again, uh, West North Carolina. Take it away. Hatch Gordon, just to follow up on the estate, Is is it
11: true that the two different kinds of estates—one that's a probate and the other that goes on in in the
2: time, like the Elvis estate—I heard you say is one the probate, but you said is the other
11: that goes on into time, um, like like the estate of Elvis.
2: Um, I think there's only one estate, and I think both of what you're talking about is the same estate. But I mean, I could be wrong. I think I think that's the same estate. You probate the estate, but it's still there. You know, (laughs) yeah. It's not like it doesn't start and finish.
3: We're going to cheat and sneak in uh, Law Hunter. Hello, the Law Hunter. Uh, you're on the call. You got a question for Tex?
13: Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Tex, I just shot you a uh, a, uh email that answers the question. Uh, the, the only thing I was going to say is I was going to ask a question. Can I share something with you? Well, um, if that's okay, it'll be brief. I just shot you an email to answer the young lady's question about them garnishing her Social Security. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 not permitted. So I shot you the email that gives that Social Security law right there, so you can share that with that listener. And another thing too, uh, I have business trust, and I have all of my assets placed in my business trust. And uh I don't mind sending you a template or something so you can share with your with your people text okay and uh sure. but uh I transferred all my vehicles property everything over to my business trust, and I'm the trustee yeah. for it, and then I got my l l c s and stuff set up too, so you know it's it's like it's ways to protect your assets away from people yeah. third yeah. party, you know.
2: Right, absolutely, yeah. I I, I encourage people to do that right there. Mm Yeah. Okay.
3: All right. I'll
13: shoot Um, you an email uh, with some stuff, okay?
3: Oh, yes, please do. All right, thank you very much, Law Hunter. Uh, That's about all the time we have for questions for the evening. I want to thank everybody for this wonderful opportunity here. Tex, you've been really helpful, and uh, this has been really awesome. Don't forget, everybody, uh, to download the chat board at chatgrabber, chatgrabber.com and then the show number one three nine three three five, And you can go and see what folks typed up there while we were having this nice conversation. We would love to thank uh, Tex Masan for coming on the show tonight and sharing such helpful information with our flock. Before we go, Tex, is there a way for our audience to contact you for more information or for your services?
2: Yes. Uh, the first thing I would encourage everybody is uh, visit the website, www.thctrust.org, create a free account, and if you create the free account, look out for the email that will come from me asking you to join the mailing list. If you just want to email me directly, the email address is coaching at thctrust.org. And is there, is there a phone number? Uh, there's a phone number, but you can get that from logging into the site and going into the site.
3: All right. Terrific. Uh, we'll make sure your contact information is available for folks to download. And as always, you can email me, the host, at thegallantgoose at com or go to our website, gallantgoose.com. Also, if anybody has any suggestions for future guest speakers, please feel free to send us an email with their information, and we'll try to get them on board as well. We hope tonight's program has been helpful for you all. As a quick program note, we tentatively have Mr. Bob Locke, a retired attorney, for next week on the 31st, Ken Dost in part two of his three-part series on securitization. On the 14th of April, then, Corey Goldstein and George Finder doing a follow-up on the credit damage results that they came up with for the half-dozen free uh, offer winners that uh, we had several weeks back uh, in in February. So those are some of the things that are upcoming, and uh, we're delighted to be able to have the show booked that far in advance. It might be a good sign that everybody is getting on the same page here. Again, we want to thank everyone here on behalf of TexMasson, and our dedicated team here at the Gallant Goose and Friends, we thank you all for all of your efforts and all of your good spirits. Good night, everyone, and we'll see you all next week.
1: This is the Gallant Goose and Friends, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 645 Eastern here on TalkSheet.com, program number 139335. This is Big Papa Stanley reminding you all, when it comes to saving your house, Don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight.
0: I was born in Illinois, in a place they call Chicago. I was born in Illinois. Now, see, I was still on the city streets With a song to write, I'm here to tell my story. We raised on the south side, in the zone they call the valley. For so, one, we bought Penny Candy, chased rats up and down the alley. I'm a bar. In Illinois, in a place they call the island. I was schooled on the city street, but it's long survived. I'm here to tell my story. We're mine, we didn't have much. I was the oldest of seven. Daddy worked two jobs, Mama held it together. One mile of school. I had to fight every day. From I get my lunch money, turn it into a word. I was born in Illinois, a place they call Chicago. Yeah, called Chicago. Oh, yeah. I was born on a city street with a strong divine. I'm here tell my story. A man, I had to make a decision. I always knew I would be a musician. No drugging or thugging, Doctor and lawyer for me. I'm gonna play this guitar. I'm gonna make the same plan I was born in Illinois. I'm going Chicago. City Street, where to the next survive, yeah. to the